Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor. Thank you for tuning in. I very much uh, appreciate it, and I'm super excited. Today, I have a guest, someone who I've never met before, which huh. makes it different from, from my other two shows. Um, he's a writer, uh, actor, improv Ist, improver, I don't know. Yeah, which, impro- whichever one. Improviser, whatever you want to call it. Improviser. Yeah. Uh, what, what else? Um, satirist, probably. Sure. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Is that enough descriptions? I think that's great. That's, that's good. awesome. That's good. Yeah. So, welcome to the show, Mark Kendall. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Mark. Yeah. I appreciate it. I've seen you around Dad's Garage a handful of times, cool. and I know you, you've done shows around Atlanta, so I'm excited to talk to you oh, to learn cool. about your you know late night influences and also how you became what you are today. Yeah. So, my first question right off the bat is. Yeah. As a kid growing right. up, mm-hmm. what late night did you watch? What influenced you? Yeah, so as a kid, late night definitely was not something that I was watching usually. Um, mainly just because, um, uh, I guess I mainly just watched Nickelodeon. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, I think that was like, as a kid, that was like, if I, if it was nighttime and I was watching TV, mm-hmm. it's probably Nickelodeon, probably not much else. And my parents didn't really watch any late night to speak of. You know, so that wasn't really like they weren't necessarily like huge fans of comedy either. It's not that they didn't like comedy, but it's not like they had comedy albums. It's not like they went to go see comedy shows. It's not like they had favorite comedians. So like as a kid, it wasn't really a part of my like day to day or anything like that. Um, But then when I was around maybe 16, 17, 17, 18, I saw Conan O'Brien for the first time. Maybe not for the first time, but that was when I was like, oh, I'm watching Conan O'Brien. He's a late night host. And I thought he was like hilarious. Mm -hmm. So he had a DVD out that was like a 10th anniversary special, uh, like because he had had his late night show for about 10 years. And like uh, I remember really enjoying watching that that DVD and uh, like Triumph Insult Comedy Dog. Mm -hmm. That was also like part of his show, too. And so he was kind of like the first person in late night that I saw. And I was like that that dude's cool Mm -hmm. but uh, but but by that point i was kind of like not really like a kid so much anymore like transitioning out of high school into college you Mm -hmm. know so you didn't discover like late night tv until you were older yeah yeah and i can't say that i yeah it was a while before it really like was anything that i was ever aware of or Mm -hmm. had 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 much interest in and i think like conan was sort of like the introduction to it i was like oh this is interesting so yeah. so you you said triumph triumph the um mm-hmm. triumph the, what is it triumph the Tri- i think comic triumph the insult, comedy insult the insult comedy dog yeah. right so so you were drawn to conan mainly for what would you say like the sketches and the bits and the characters yeah. that he would do it, it, was, it was mostly like the bits he was just this funny guy i don't really remember like what bits i saw first mm-hmm. necessarily um like I, like nothing in particular like stands out to me. I just remember beforehand, I thought late night was like Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, mm-hmm. uh, people that were funny, like telling funny jokes, but uh, like it came across as stale to me or something, or something that like my parents might enjoy mm-hmm. as opposed to something that was for me. Whereas Conan felt like, oh, this is for you. You mm-hmm. know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, so generationally speaking, like I, yeah. I felt like I like. Lashed on to Conan just a little bit more, right? It, it, like he was targeting a younger, 
audience yeah. is that like yeah i think maybe because he was targeting a younger audience and like the guests that he would have and his friends were people that i thought were funny so it's like mm-hmm. will ferrell would hang out with him mm-hmm. you know or like mr t i know he's not like new or anything but like mr t would be used humorously in like a conan bit you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying like, yeah and so that stuff was kind of interesting to me uh whereas like um you know jay leno uh, Johnny Carson were like a little bit more straightforward mm-hmm. and like by the time that I discovered Letterman or by the time like I ever like gave Letterman a try I think he was sort of like I'm not trying to say anything against the dude but it was like it was by the time he was at CBS mm-hmm. and like maybe a little bit past that more experimental phase yeah definitely and so I just didn't I never really connected with him mm-hmm. so 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 again Conan was the person that like I'm like oh I like this person mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you watch Conan and you see, oh, I like him. He's funny. He's right. doing bits and sketches that I enjoy. Did that transition you into watching other people or did you just kind of stick with Conan and he was your guy? No, yeah, it was mainly just kind of like Conan. And I didn't, I didn't watch him like a lot. So I was just like I wasn't really like a TV watcher mm-hmm. like uh, at that at that time, uh, meaning like I wouldn't like sit down in front of a t- TV and watch mm-hmm. a sketch so much. I think like around that time when I first was discovering Conan – um, like DVDs were getting pretty big. So mm-hmm. it's just like, I was more of like a DVD watcher. And so like comedically, um, the stuff that was really resonating with me was, uh, like the boondocks was out at that time. Uh, speaking of satire, like that was something where I was like, Whoa, this is great. Mm-hmm. And like uh Chappelle show was big at the time, mm-hmm. uh, largely because of the DVDs that came out. And I was like, Whoa, this is great. So mm-hmm. those were like the two shows i think that really kind of started to form like my sense of humor Mm -hmm. that i could like really relate to Mm -hmm. um and conan was cool too but i wasn't like necessarily like hitting him up every night to see what he was doing right so instead of you know focusing on the the interviews and the talk show you were more about the sketches and and the Mm -hmm. irony and the satire and all that Mm -hmm. it's funny you bring up the Chappelle show though uh, because i recently discovered the Chappelle show because it's not you know it's it's i don't want to say it's so old because it's not so old but it definitely was before my time of getting interested in tv but i recently discovered it and it's hilarious and i think a lot of the topics that he deals with and writes about Mm. are still relevant today yeah um but yeah it's it's very funny i don't know what the boondocks is though so what is is is, uh, you should check it out it's really good um aaron magruder is the guy uh that created it and uh, it started out as these comic strips and it's Mm -hmm. about uh two young black kids Huey and Riley, and they live with their grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their grandfather uh, is like an older guy, and they've moved out to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And so it's about these two kids moving in the suburbs. And so, like, Riley, he's like only eight or nine years old, but he like emulates all the rappers that he sees on TV, and he really wants to be like a thug, a gangster, <laughs> but, uh, but he's a little kid. Mm-hmm. And then, meanwhile, Riley, he's kind of like, even though he's like only 10, 11 years old, he's like this genius mind you know mm-hmm. but he's like stuck in the body of a little kid and uh, while their grandfather is just like your normal everyday like older grandfather that mm-hmm. just wants to like live out the rest of his life in the suburbs mm-hmm. but these two kids i forget where they're from originally but they're kind of like been taken out of the city moved to the suburbs and so it started as like a comic strip that would show up in newspapers things like that but then it wound up being like an adult swim show for a couple years and uh it's to me, it's just like some of the most like best brilliant comedy I'd ever seen, like the comics and the show itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you remember when. Uh, so remember when there was like 
not that long ago, like a couple of weeks ago, HBO was like, oh, we're making this show called like the Confederate or whatever. Like what if the South had won or not? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's just like – and then like a couple of weeks later, Amazon was just like, well, we've also been working on this show separate from that for a while now that's been in development about like what if blacks were given reparations and had their own like state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron is the dude behind that. Okay. Uh, he also wrote at least a version or helped write uh, Red Tails, the um, – that George Lucas produced movie about the um, Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, uh, Aaron, Aaron Magruder, he also did Black Jesus on uh, Adult okay. Swim. So uh, the Boondocks, um, yeah, it's a great show. It's hard to, it's just out there, man. Uh, <laughs> but you kind of have to just watch it. Uh, like I, yeah. Uh, like, uh, for example, like one episode is like, uh, imagine the world, like where, if, what if MLK was still alive today? Like what if he just came back today? Hmm. And like he, he had him, they had him give the speech where he was against like this was like years ago, but I think it was like he was against the war in the Iraq. He dropped the N bomb, and it like caused like a bunch of controversy. But it was like, well, we were trying to imagine what if MLK came back today. Right. And so things that nobody else in TV was doing then, and for the most part, still isn't really doing now. But they were doing it very well, mm-hmm. uh, similar to Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So did you also watch? Um, uh, oh, what's the show? In Living Color? Were you, uh, were that was you? a little bit before my time. So I mean, oh, yeah. I've seen like some, I've seen like some individual pieces, but I didn't like grow up with it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't grow up with it. Uh, so it's, it's more so like what a lot of those people did after that I checked in on. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So Yeah. Uh, but I didn't, because um, uh, like I said, like when that show was out, I would have been like a pretty little kid. And so at mm-hmm. that time I was just watching Nickelodeon. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Okay. And now I want to ask you about the most obvious one when it comes to sketch and all that. Um, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. watch that? Do you follow that? Yeah, I, I liked it pretty good. Uh, I think I started watching that in college. So um, uh, I think it was maybe, I forget, um, the cast that I was watching. I mean, it's always like in flux, but people that I remember watching when I was watching it like week to week, mm-hmm. it was like Chris and Wig, Bill Hader, Will Forte, Seth Meyers. Mm-hmm. Those were some of the standouts that I remember being on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and there was like a there was like a period of time where I was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty cool." Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I felt like, and again, this isn't anything against that. Just like my personal tastes were much more like, "Oh, I just like what Chappelle's doing so much more." Like mm-hmm. SNL is great because like you're watching this live thing that's on every week. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, "Oh man, what Chappelle's doing, I feel like is so much more evolved." Or it's just like what the Boondocks is doing is just like so much more interesting Mm -hmm. but i I think the joy for me in watching snl is trying to take this thing that sort of like existed the same way it's always been and how do they what do they do to like try to keep it interesting you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying Mm -hmm. and and is that um like you said what are they doing to keep it interesting what all all that is that something that you use today in your writing do you try to emulate what they did and what you're doing today uh you're referring to like Chappelle show and boondocks yeah uh yeah well i think um i think what i think Chappelle show and boondocks did really well is that they had like a very clearly developed like point of view mm-hmm. so i think that that's something that's like that's just like the most important thing mm-hmm. and so it's like if you can really get to the core of like how you see things mm-hmm. and then clearly communicate that to an audience and mm-hmm. then also make that funny then i feel like you have something special so it's just like uh, so that's kind of what I got from those shows. Mm-hmm. So in all the in all the sketches that yeah. you've seen with Conan yeah. and uh, the Boondocks mm-hmm. and Chappelle Show and mm-hmm. SNL, 
which one out of all of those? Mm-hmm. This is going to be kind of a difficult question, yeah. but which one do you think stands out the most? If uh, you can think of one sketch that influenced you and that stuck with you all these years. That's a tough one. I, uh, you know, I think it just changes over time. Mm-hmm. So it's just like there are probably different sketches where I was just like always kind of like going back to that in my brain, but then like it just kind of fades into your back of your brain, and it's like, oh, if I were to like recall that sketch, I'd be able to like tell you exactly what happened, you know. But I think just one that kind of pops into my head right now is just one that's like, oh yeah, that's one that I still go back to and rewatch a lot is a Chappelle show, uh, his Tupac sketch, hmm. uh, where uh, and it was part of the Lost episode, so he did a. Uh, you know, so he did those first two seasons, mm-hmm. started recording. I mean, it, it, people know this, but it's just like, uh, so he was, he was recording the first two seasons. And then when he started recording a batch of episodes for the third season and then he left and then they still showed him anyway, like mm-hmm. it's, it's from that third season. Gotcha. And, uh, he had a sketch where he's just like, you know, Tupac's lyrics were always ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of how he introduced the sketch mm-hmm. and uh, Tupac's lyrics just become more and more ahead of their time. So he's talking about things that happened after he died, but then he's talking about things that there's no way he could have known. And then he starts predicting like the future of what's going on in the club. And then he starts reading people's minds. It's just like this really ridiculous, absurd sketch. Um, <laughs> That thing is really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know in your time in college, you yeah. got to spend some time in New York at the Daily Show and the Colbert, the Colbert Report. Yeah. Report. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about that experience mm-hmm. and yeah. what that was like. Sure. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so when I was in college, I was like getting into writing comedy. And so Chris Rock, he set up this program at Comedy Central that was meant to like bring diversity to like late night writing Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know exactly like why the program started but i remember like when chris rock i've read interviews where he talked about his time on snl it's like it's a competitive environment and so it's like if you're a performer you need people to write for you you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and so like snl and most of those late night programs have had had and continue to have like a real issue with diversity not just like on camera but behind the camera as well and so it's just like if he's on snl and no one can write for him he's not really set up for success obviously chris rock funniest person in the world probably Mm -hmm. like he ended up okay but it's like uh, i think he was trying to like foster like more diversity amongst those late night ranks and not just again not just like on camera but in all the litany of jobs that exist behind the scenes to make the shows possible so anyway um the summer after my junior year of college i got to spend a couple months in new york um at comedy central and uh they basically would just bounce us around departments for the summer. So you could kind of see like all the different ways you could work at a place like comedy central. So, uh, we spent time at like one of their blogging departments. So we'd blog articles for them. We spent time in their like on off air promotions. So we'd like help pitch like ways to like promote stuff. Uh, we would like, we would, uh, uh, spend time like in development. So you like read scripts, you know, uh, and like do coverage. Uh, we also spent time, uh, and then, oh, and then the, you know, the, the most exciting part was I got to spend a week at the Colbert Report and I'd shadow the writers for a week and I'd pitch jokes there. Then I spent a week at the Daily Show and I'd shadow writers for a week and I'd pitch jokes there. So you really got to see just like behind the scenes, you just show up to work every day mm-hmm. and shadow the writers sitting on meetings and it was crazy it was it was crazy so how did your time there um influence your writing today when you see how they do it how yeah. did that kind of change the way you looked at it was it? huge i mean it's just like uh so it was like the summer of 08 so both shows were kind of like at their peak mm-hmm. you know and it was a summer and it was an election year mm-hmm. so like palin had just entered the race so like 
both of these shows were really just like churning out like amazing material and uh, both shows had like a lot of really great people working on them so I like I remember the first day at the Daily Show for example I walked in and like Wyatt Cenac was there and he was like brand new like he had just started there <laughs> uh, John Oliver was like in the offices and I remember like he was just one of the dudes in the office and like we were like shooting basketball hoops in the office and I was like watching him there but then I got to see them go into these meetings and watch these writers and uh, performers pitch jokes to John and to the head writer um, and the main thing I think I took away from it was just like how good they are and like you just kind of have to hold yourself to like a higher standard if you want to like make really funny stuff is kind of like something that I took away from it. Uh, and I think the other big thing that I took away from my time there was most of them were all also really good performers. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't necessarily know them by name. Uh, I mean, there were some exceptions, but for the most part, like on each group of staffs, there were like a ton of people that were amazing standups and or amazing improvisers. And at the time I wasn't really performing that much. I was mainly just a writer because that's all I was interested in. I was a film major. And so I was like, I was doing more like directing, writing, producing that kind of thing. Um, but it's like, uh, we'd go in during the day and you'd sit in on these pitch meetings, watch them pitch jokes. You'd watch them record the show. And then after you go to open mics and they'd be at the open mics, like doing jokes of their own. And, uh, so that summer, like I started doing stand up, mm -hmm. uh, and then when I got, when I finished the program and I went back to school that fall, I started doing improv. And so, so from spending time around them, that's how I went from being like just someone that wrote to being someone that wrote and performed. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of like the main thing that came came out of that so when you first started writing yeah. what did you and, and for your stand-up too what did you mainly focus on what themes what topics or was it just anything you experienced in life mm, i don't really remember like uh, i don't remember i think it was kind of all over the place at least in the beginning mm -hmm. yeah i i, I want to say it was all over the place i think because like when i first started writing you're just trying to write anything mm -hmm. that could be funny so it's <laughs> right. like you're just kind of still just trying to write anything that could be funny so i, I don't remember really like pigeonholing myself too much mm -hmm. yeah do you remember some of the jokes that you pitched were, were, were any of them taken and accepted uh yeah one was at the colbert pour like uh it got like altered a little bit but um uh one joke i pitched like so at the beginning of the colbert pour like the uh, it's not really like a cold open, but like at the beginning, he'd be like tonight and he'd like give three one liners and he'd have like one other thing. And he's like, this is the Colbert pour. And so like one of mine that they used was like uh, for every like for every action, I have a superior and opposite reaction. This is the Colbert. Pour. <laughs> so they use that. Um, so that's fun. That must cool. have been awesome. I mean, for them oh, to it was take big. a joke of yeah, yours. I learned a lot from them because it's just like, I mean, they took something that I pitched altered it a little bit and they put it on screen and i think the big thing i took away from that was like a lot of them were improvisers mm -hmm. and um they could have very easily have just been like you can't pitch jokes you're not qualified to pitch jokes here mm -hmm. we shouldn't you can come in the room and you can watch but you can't say anything <laughs> yeah. um that would have been fine like mm -hmm. that would have been fine but instead they're just like no you're a part of the team yeah and so it's like anything that you say we're going to try to make that better that's, that's awesome that's a big part of like improv mm -hmm. and that was like how they operated all the time so i'd be like in their offices like all day every day just like asking them questions like oh how do you write this how did you do this how did you do this and i would just have my notebook and just write down everything that they said mm -hmm. and they were very nice about everything I don't know. And so it's just like that really stuck with me because um, it's like um, just that like that supportive environment. Mm -hmm. And um, and 
them being that nice, them being that supportive, and still being able to be like the funniest, one of the funniest shows on TV at the time was mm-hmm. like a big learning experience for mm-hmm. me. So it's just like after that, whenever I was around people, I'm oh, sorry, my, my phone. But so like after that, um, um. Oh, yeah. So after that, whenever I was in an environment that was like a group of people that were trying to make stuff that was funny and they weren't supportive, I'm like, oh, this is unnecessary. This isn't a place that I need to be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You had that yeah. amazing experience. Yeah. And, that, you know, that makes me happy, too, because yeah. they could have easily just totally knocked you down and been like, oh, mm-hmm. you're in college. You know, we're not going to even listen to you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead, they took your ideas. They raised you up. And that's that's awesome that yeah. it had that much influence on you. Yeah. I mean, they just went the extra mile. Like, um, I remember uh, so later that year. So that summer, you know, that stuff happened. And then later that year, the Colbert Report won the Emmy for like, I think best writing, mm-hmm. um, in a late night program. And so I emailed one of the writers. And I was like, yo man, congrats. And he's like, Hey man, like this is part yours. You helped us with that. He did not need to say that. Exactly. But, it's just right. like, but that, but that like made me feel so good and mm-hmm. like really like bolstered my, um, confidence to keep doing it, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so that, so that was like a very nice experience. Yeah. That's great. They're creating that team, yeah. you know, and it's not isolating people away and you're right. It is mm-hmm. like the improv world where they yeah. said yes to you. They brought you in yeah. because you start isolating people. You don't know how that's going to affect them. Yeah. If they made you feel like crap, mm-hmm. who knows where you'd be today? You yeah. know, you might not be in the same place. Yeah. That makes me, I mean, I've never seen them or met any of the writers, right. but that makes me feel good that that's the environment. Yeah. And it goes both ways. So it wasn't all like love and rainbow. You know what I'm saying? If you pitch something that was not funny, <laughs> obviously they wouldn't use it. And right. certain people would really let you know. Oh, and geez. so it's just like, uh, not like in a mean way, but right. like in a very straightforward, quick mm-hmm. way, because there's no time to be wasted. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, so yes, it's supportive, but also everyone is trying really hard to like keep at a certain level. Mm-hmm. And so like, that was another thing too, is that like, you can be nice, but you can also be like firm and straightforward and say when something is not funny. Right. You know? And then so. it helps you, I mean, learn about rejection and mm-hmm. rejection in a positive way. Yes. Rather yeah. than, you know, just if they, because once again, they could have sat there, they could have mm-hmm. just totally yelled at you, made you mm-hmm. feel terrible, your mm-hmm. writing's terrible. Mm-hmm. But instead, you know, they, they built you up mm-hmm. and they said no, but in a constructive manner. Yeah. So that's super cool. Yeah. I also learned how collaborative the process was. I mean, everyone, all the offices, no one, I mean, like, except for, like, certain, like, exec producers, all, like, the staff writers and things like that, you always shared an office with someone, mm-hmm. and you would normally be on assignments at least in groups of two. Mm-hmm. On occasion, you'd have, like, a little assignment here and there where someone would go off and write something for a little while, but for the most part, it was, like, a very collaborative thing on both shows. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, like, I learned, like, oh, like, I need to learn how to work with other people mm-hmm. as well as possible. And so... um you know, yeah, you just kind of learn really quickly, like the comedy world, the small world, um, being able to work in a group is really important. Uh, and so like being nice to people is, uh, a lot of times just as important, if not more so than how funny you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you stay in touch with any of the writers that you met there? Anyone? You uh, met? Some a little bit, not, I mean, not too much, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Do they, when you write stuff, do you reach out for ideas or it's just kind of your no, more, more so it's no, more so just like a very seldom thing where it's just like maybe if I have a video I might send it to them or I might drop them a line every every now and again but it's not like all the time part of that's because um uh I haven't really been back to New York since that internship I believe so it's just like so I didn't move there after school mm-hmm. uh so it's like had I moved there I probably would have been in touch with them more but I didn't 
I didn't move there. Um, but um, if I were to move there later or spend more time there, I might be more in touch with them. Okay, so to talk a little bit about your career. So oh, after sure. after you finished your internship mm-hmm. there, you go back to college. Yeah. You finish your senior year, yeah. right? You finish yeah. your senior year. Mm-hmm. Then you come back to Atlanta, right? right? Yeah, yeah, I came back to Atlanta. So how how yeah. come you came here and mm-hmm. you didn't go to New York? Yeah, so, uh, so when I was in New York um, – I enjoyed my time there and I liked the city. Uh, but at the time I was way more into like filmmaking and oh. like, yeah, I was way more into filmmaking and I liked TV and I liked comedy writing and I liked late night, but it was mm-hmm. never like, um, my passion. I was mm-hmm. just like, Oh, this would be like a really cool job, but this wasn't like what I like have to do. And also like those, both of the writing staffs were amazing. Like they were really great people. So this isn't anything against them personally, but like it, they, they were not diverse places you know what i'm saying they, mm-hmm. they weren't and i mean the program was there for a reason and so it was kind of just like oh this is cool but there was nothing really about it like grabbing me you know so it's just like you know those shows did not really speak to me in the same way that like the boondocks did Chappelle show did mm-hmm. chris rock did you know so uh so uh so in my mind i was just like oh after school i'll go to like la i was thinking more like la mm-hmm. uh, but then when i moved back to when i finished school moved back to atlanta uh, it was just expensive to move. So, uh, so what ended up happening was I, I worked at Tyler Perry Studios for a little bit. Okay, uh, as a casting assistant, and then shortly after that, started interning at Dad's Garage, hmm. and I got more and more into performance and writing and like a lot more stage stuff. So I've been here for a minute now. Uh, and it wasn't really planned. Basically, it was just hmm. no pl- having not a it wasn't intentional mm-hmm. yeah so i know you recently you know had a show at the alliance mm-hmm. you had a show here at dad's mm-hmm. what was your first main show that either you participated in or mm-hmm. that you wrote or helped write yourself um, well i guess uh interesting uh i guess like back in college i was on a sketch team okay and uh called Northwestern Sketch Television they still exist and they they do a lot of funny stuff and so every year um we would write like live sketches and then also every spring we would premiere like an hour's worth of like video sketches. Mm-hmm. So that was like those were like the first like shows I had like a hand and really like uh I had a hand and really like um helping write, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh and then after that, I think the first one was probably uh my solo show that I did for the first time like back several years ago. Um, called the Magic Negro, another blackness. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably like my first, like play, or something. Because before that, most mostly what I wrote was for like screen, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the Magic Negro, mm-hmm. how did that start? Mm-hmm. Where, where? Because I know that was just over at the Alliance. It mm-hmm. was a huge hit. Where, where was that seed planted? Uh, so, um, I guess a couple years ago, uh, Amber Nash, she was doing. Mm-hmm. A solo show at Dad's, and so to prep for that, she uh, she corralled a bunch of Dad's performers to take a solo class with her, like a solo performance class with her. So it was a bunch of us, and we'd meet at her house, and uh, this professor from UGA named George Contini hmm. would just basically teach us sketch performance. And so that was kind of like when I first started like putting together solo material. Because mm-hmm. uh, I had done stand-up and I had done improv, but solo sketch was something that was kind of like, oh, I hadn't really done much of this. Also, when I moved to Atlanta... And even now, the sketch scene isn't, like, especially big. Like, mm-hmm. people do sketch, but not to the degree that they do in other cities. Mm-hmm. So my first several years in Atlanta, if I was doing comedy, it was probably, like, either improv or stand-up. But sketch is so much more, like, where my passion is for the most part. Uh, so when I took the solo performance class, 
I was like, oh, man, this is a way for me to get back into sketch, mm-hmm. you know, this thing that I'd really enjoyed so much. Um, and then around that same time, Renee Delafont, who is the artistic director over at Highwire right now, uh, a couple years ago, he started this show called Dottie. Um, yeah, 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 I'm familiar. And it was at this place called The Big House. And um, now it's at Highwire, but it used to be at this place called The Big House, which is just like this weird, crazy, amazing venue. <laughs> and it was like a place where I could every month go in and like do new material. Right. And so between those two things, I kind of started like um, putting together solo stuff. And then uh, Dad's Garage is a pretty cool place where in addition to doing improv, we do a lot of uh, scripted plays and something that's kind of most improv theaters don't also do scripted stuff. And then the thing that's kind of cool about our theater is that we do mostly new work that's written from in house. Mm -hmm. So every year uh, we have like what's called like season planning. So um, if you're a performer here, you can pitch an idea for a show and if they pick it, um, you can like get your work produced. And so it's a really cool way um, to like, you know, get stuff up on its feet. So anyway, like I'd have been, kind of like developing material from doing that show Dottie as well as from um, taking that solo performance class. Uh, so I pitched that show and then that's kind of how it, uh, at least at first, came about. Okay. Yeah. So to talk, I want to talk about your writing process yeah. and how you uh, write because mm-hmm. for me, I love comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious, mm-hmm. obviously, like most people would, yeah. logically. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I've only written one sketch mm-hmm. my entire life. It's mm-hmm. a sketch about the three wise men bringing yeah. their gifts to baby Jesus, yeah. and two of them accidentally bring the same gift. Mm-hmm. So that's my, my, one, my one little sketch that I wrote. Yeah. Um, but I struggle, I think, and most writers, I would assume, struggle with coming up with the idea. Mm-hmm. So how do you create your idea, your basis for the sketch? Where mm-hmm. does that come from? Yeah, well, I think um, for me, for a while now, for years at this point, um, I've always carried around either a notebook or I have my phone handy mm-hmm. so that anytime something pops into my idea, even if, or it pops into my head, even if it's not necessarily an idea for a sketch, I'm able to write it down. So it's like, if I get an idea, like I'll write it down and it'll probably only make sense to me, you know? <laughs> um, cause it's just like, it's just uh, random thoughts. And a lot of times it'll be like in the form of a premise or it might be like the first couple beats of a sketch and I'll email it to myself so that when I sit down to write, I think it's really difficult to sit down at a computer and look at a blank screen and like try and write something. So I usually try not to put myself in that position. Mm -hmm. So instead I have like just notebooks or phones filled with like little random ideas and I pluck whatever is interesting to me and I start to write that down. So for example, like, uh, uh, I'm just looking for trying to find an email that I wrote myself. So like, I'll, I'll be like, um, so like here's like I sent myself an idea about like doing a sketch about uh, Sorry Miss Jackson the Outcast song mm-hmm. or I'm gonna see if I can try and find like one that has like a more like, fully fleshed out premise so it'll make sense. Um, so a lot of your ideas as you look for it on your phone, yeah. a, a lot of your ideas come from real life moments or more absurd things that just pop into your head? Oh, uh, it could be anything. Um, it's, it's, it's more so, uh, it's more so just like, um, any idea that, that, that comes into my head. So it's just like, uh, but the ideas that come into your head, I think are influenced by your Mm -hmm. everyday experiences. Uh, so yeah, so I guess anywhere, anywhere I try, I try not to filter it too much. Okay. And like, I know, um, if you, if you, uh, check out my previous episode, episode two, when I interviewed Will from Highwire, Mm -hmm. he said that every morning he Mm -hmm. tries to write Mm -hmm. for a couple hours every morning. That's Mm -hmm. like his routine. Mm -hmm. Do you have a similar writing routine or it's kind of like, I'm in the mood to write, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to do it now. 
Uh, I try to do like morning pages. So mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, I don't always do them, but I try to do them. So mm-hmm. it's just like first thing when I wake up, I just write down, I just write whatever's on my brain. And it's not meant to even be comedic or anything that I'll use. Mm-hmm. It's just like, just to get it out there. So I've written something for mm-hmm. the day. Uh, and then throughout the day, like I'll, like I mentioned, like with my phone, I'll just kind of keep track of ideas. And then other than that, like I just try to give myself like deadlines. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I try to set a deadline for something that will scare me enough, <laughs> uh, so that I don't want the show to be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll write something for that and mm-hmm. then try to put it up and see if it works. And then if it's bad, hopefully what that does is that'll frustrate me enough to revise it so that it'll get better yeah so i so i try to make sure that i set up opportunities for myself to put things on its feet and get in front of an audience i think um at least the way that i work can be kind of tough if i'm just sort of like writing alone by myself just for myself like Mm -hmm. um i I think that was another thing that i really took away from the spending time at the colbert report in particular is like the writers are just like when you write something you got to read it out loud like you got to read it out loud it's just like because uh, you need to get in front of an audience, you know, mm-hmm. like these, these are things yeah. you kind of have to be doing. So that to me, that's just as much of it as the writing, mm-hmm. you know? So you talked about, you know, like when uh, something is bad, how you just, mm-hmm. you got to revise it, got to revise mm-hmm. it. How, how did you, mm-hmm. um, and how do you mm-hmm. still, how do you deal with failure when you present mm-hmm. a sketch that you think is like rock and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, the sketch is the bomb. And then you show it to somebody and they're mm-hmm. like, well, it's not that funny. How, how do you take that? Uh, that's just part of it. Uh You know, so, I mean, it's just like everybody bombs, you know, like um, going back again to like one of my favorite comedians like Chris Rock. He kind of talks about a lot how it's just like if he doesn't when he's developing new material, if he's not bombing, it's probably not good. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like because it's just like if you just stick to what always works, Mm -hmm. you could do that. Like you could find a way to do something that you do well Mm -hmm. and then you just do that same thing. Maybe you alter it just a little bit. Whether it's improv, stand-up, sketch, doesn't matter what it is. And if you find if you like find a comfort zone and you don't like break out of that, um, you, you could. That's one way to do it, I guess. But you won't discover new things. So, mm-hmm. so it's just like if I have a bad show or if I try something and it didn't work or didn't go as well as I planned, I am frustrated. Like I'm really frustrated. But at the same time, I know that if I really did try to make it as good as I could mm-hmm. and then it still failed, that probably means that I took a, like a bigger step. Gotcha. Then, like, if I did something and it was like, all right, you mm-hmm. know, does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of have to like fail big to like, you kind of, you kind of have to like, it's sort of like they tell you like an improv. Mm-hmm. It's like you kind of have to like fail big, and I think mm-hmm. I think that translates into the scripted stuff hmm. as well. Um, you got to try like big, weird ideas to, mm-hmm. to to happen upon something that hopefully you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. So do you still watch like the Colbert report and, and the daily show and, and Conan, all these sketch shows, do you still mm-hmm. watch them for inspiration or what, what do you, what do you watch mm-hmm. now? What inspires you? Uh, well with late, when it comes to late night, I watch Seth Meyers, the closer look pretty regularly. So mm-hmm. like, I like that segment that he does on occasion. I'll watch his monologues. Uh, I've been watching, Colbert's monologues pretty regularly, like mm-hmm. his that stuff, whatever he does at the top of the show. Uh, I'll check in on the Daily Show on occasion, mm-hmm. you know, like all the time. Um, John Oliver, I like to check him out yeah. usually. Uh, but as far as like what I really dig comedically, I mean, like I think Atlanta is just like an excellent show, mm-hmm. uh, written like, by Atlanta native yeah. Donald Glover. Uh, this is kind of funny. Um, I don't know if this is useful. This may be dumb, but it's just <laughs> like uh, I'm just a really big fan of his, uh-huh. and. Um, uh, uh, the the program that I did in New York, he had done it 
however many years before. We oh, did, so we did the same cool. program. And so it's just like when we were going from department to department, uh, they were like, oh, Donald did this thing. Because like when I was there, he was riding on 30 Rock. Okay. And I was just like, whoa. And that was my first time hearing about him. It's like, whoa, this young kid's like riding for 30 Rock. And he's amazing. You know? Like, yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, man. And his, uh, his sketch team, Derek Comedy. I don't know if you've seen Derek Comedy. You got to watch Derek Comedy. It's, okay. Um, they're excellent. It's like these little, it's these excellent sketches that he made with. Uh, his classmates from NYU mm-hmm. and I was like, and I was in a sketch group in college at the time, but his stuff was like so much better. And I was like, wow, this guy is amazing. You know? So anyway, mm-hmm. little, I digress, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I think Atlanta is like an excellent show. I think Chris Rock is still like an excellent comedian. I saw him this year when he came through to Atlanta. I was there at the, oh, over yeah. at the Fox. Yeah. yeah. I was there too. Yeah, I thought that I thought he's like in top form still, which is mm-hmm. really impressive. Yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal, it was the first time I'd ever seen him yeah. and it was, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so I thought he was really good. Um, I think insecure is a really great show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. On HBO, HBO. Yeah. Uh, draw Carmichael, I think is like an excellent comic. Oh yeah. Yep. His stand up mm-hmm. special that he just released called eight. I was just like, Oh, I haven't really seen anything like that before. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff. I try, I try to watch a lot of comedy, but I think that, um, the stuff that I've seen recently that is like really inspiring to me is stuff like Atlanta insecure draw Carmichael those guys so you're watching all this stuff and you're gaining new ideas every day on your iphone and email and all that what what's the next project what are you working on uh well i think you just you know you're kind of like always writing I, I still travel with the solo show that i have okay so it's like i still uh travel and i still do that so i'm still trying to like get that to as many places as i can mm-hmm. um and then um i perform pretty regularly here at dad's garage and that gives me a go- cool place to like try stuff mm-hmm. so like for example um you know so there's certain nights where i just kind of like grab a night and me and some friends we just try stuff so mm-hmm. like last thursday for example was pretty or a couple of days ago uh we did a show like down here in the lobby of dad's garage which you can't see but we're in a lobby anyway <laughs> uh, so it's just like we did like a like a small intimate show Mm-hmm. where each one of us was just like, all right, whatever we're working on, we're going to try to do like 10, 15, 20 minutes of material mm-hmm. for this audience and see what works, see what doesn't work. And um, so that was fun. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, you're just always trying to always trying to write stuff. Yeah. yeah. So what what's your ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. Like if your dream, your dream, because mm-hmm. this right now, I would argue that you are living your dream oh, where cool. you get to write every day mm-hmm. and, you know, Pe- hundred thousands of people love you. I've seen your stuff, but in your mind, like, what is the ultimate goal? I guess you know, um, I'd like to be able to write more, perform more for more people. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and I'd like to, you know, I've been doing like a lot of stage stuff more recently, but I'd like to do, you know, more video stuff. I really like TV these days. It's really, I think, like there's such amazing TV. So I'd, I'd love to be able to like contribute to that mm-hmm. in some way. Um, so that'd be fun for me. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And so for my final question for you, because I know we have to wrap up for your, for your improv oh, class. Sorry, he, he's a teacher, guys. Oh, he, yeah. he's a, oh, no big deal. <laughs> so should we call you Dr. Mark Kendo? Uh, no, no need, but thanks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, uh, so my final question for you is um, if you had one piece of advice yeah. to give to somebody who is either, if you can imagine, like a younger you right. or someone who wants to be you, yeah. what is that piece of advice? Uh there's a bunch of things I think it's I'd say like you know get as much 
stage time as you can, mm-hmm. like as much stage time as you can, like always perform and then try to get the best stage time that you can. So it's just like start by just getting like where, whoever will let you perform, like perform there. And then like once you get a lot of that, like then start trying to get better and better stage time. Um, I think like in addition to just writing, cause sometimes people just say like, Oh, just write. I think it's like writing, but also like putting stuff up mm-hmm. and like, like being focused on like trying to make good stuff, you know, cause they're like, try, try to make the things that you think are good. Um, try to develop like a point of view, you know, like how do you see the world? Like how do you see the world that's different from other people? So for example, like when we were talking before, we were like, Oh, I realized that I like late night for the interviews and not some of the other things that late night is now known for. I realize that that's kind of like something unique about myself. How can I explore this more? Like, like exactly that, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, yeah. Um, try, trying to like highlight and identify, do, like you know, make it about stuff that you care about. Um, I think try to be around like uh, people that are like more experienced or better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, try to surround yourself with those people so that you can like push yourself to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of like the main things that I'd say. But pretty much, I guess, just be prepared to do it a lot for a very long time. I think that's kind of like the best advice that I got mm-hmm. was just like, if this is something that you want to do, like making comedy or whatever it is, it's just like, it takes a really long time to get good. It's not like an immediate thing. So just be prepared to always, you're just always trying to get better is, you know, like it's just like a, a long haul. Yeah, for so. sure. Well, that's a great piece of advice. Cool. And for anyone listening, if they want to check out mm-hmm. either you performing yeah. or maybe some stuff online, how can they, Sure. find where you are or stuff yeah. you've done uh i have a comedian facebook page called mark kendall you could check that out uh, i'm in an improv group at daz garage called dark side of the room mm-hmm. we have a monthly variety show that's really fun so you can follow us on facebook uh daz Gar- or dark side of the room and that'll be like an easy way to find out about those shows uh september 15th i'll be at the norfolk comedy festival um but for the most part, I'm pretty regularly at Dad's Garage, so with a bunch of other really funny people. So it's like, I don't know. I'd say just come see shows at Dad's Garage to see me or just, like, other people. Mainly the other people. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm fans of the performers that we got here. A lot of funny people. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So if you want to check out Mark, be sure to follow him on Facebook, Dark Side of the Moon, also on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Dark Side of the Room. Yeah, Dark yeah. Side of the Room. Yeah. I don't, why no, no, no. That's the Transformers movie is Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, you know, it's a it's man. No, 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 Dark it's Side of the Room. No, follow yeah. Dark Side of the Room on Facebook, which I have seen one of you guys' performances oh, cool. and it is hilarious. Oh, thanks, what you do with movies and all oh, that. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Absolutely oh, cool. love it. Um, and uh, yeah, you can also check him out here regularly at Dad's Garage. So thank you, Mark, so much for being on the oh, show. Thank you, yeah. uh, I really do appreciate it. Oh, yeah, my and for anyone listening, be sure to follow us on Podbean at our website, www.talkinglatenight.com. Also, you can download us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. I would appreciate it greatly. Yeah. And as well, like our Facebook page, Talking Late Night. I think, Mark, would you give me five stars out of five? Yeah. Okay, so if Mark gives me five stars, I think you should too. So thanks for tuning in. Check out Mark anywhere you can because he's a great guy, very funny. Uh, Thanks for being on the show again. Oh, thank you, man. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 